Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another Fun with Crypto podcast. I'm your host, Phil. And this week, we are going to be having an interview with one of my favorite Bitcoiners, Pierre Rochard. Um, we talk about all kinds of fun stuff. We go into the Trump tweet. We talk about Peter Schiff, Austrian economics, um, Pierre's story before Bitcoin, you know, how Pierre stepped in, you know, his rabbit hole story and and much more. Uh, we also go over the San Francisco conference and he gives us a bit of a teaser of something he's working on. Anyways, uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Pierre Rochard. All right, Bitcoin accumulation country, we have a very special guest with us this evening. He's the treasurer of the Nakamoto Institute, creator of the Node Launcher, and the man who runs Lightning Power Users. Uh, he was also one of the first Twitter accounts that I followed on Bitcoin Twitter and possibly one of, uh, I'd say, one of my biggest uh, influences in the space. And I follow him closely and I find, uh, I find his take on Bitcoin to be um, refreshing, but I also find it to be objective and I, I, I find that, uh, that it's all signal and no noise. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Mr. Pierre Rochard. Pierre, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me on, Coin Icarus. Um, that's, that's quite the intro, um, but <laughs> it feels like you're accusing me of being an influencer. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't mean it in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that that's a really touchy topic these days, right? Oh, yeah. You know, so, OK, I mean, we could definitely talk about that. But uh, I, I obviously, you know, for the listeners, for the people who don't know you, but I, I really think that everybody does. But maybe there's like some small faction who hasn't, you know, who doesn't know you. So I, I kind of want to jump in a little bit about your background before we how, how did like there was Pierre before Bitcoin. So, yeah, there, there was. <laughs> um, and really, I would say that uh, it goes back to when I was in high school. Um, the summer before my junior year of high school, I came across a Wikipedia article about anarcho-capitalism. And when I saw that uh, title, I, I thought it was very edgy and interesting as a teen, you know. And so I, I clicked on it and um, started learning about Austrian economics and all this because I just it, every sentence I read just made sense to me. Um, now, the other part of it at the time, too, was that I was like installing uh, Debian GNU Linux on my um, parents' old PowerPC clone, which was a clone of a Mac uh, Apple computer a um, long time ago now. But um, so I was very interested in free and open source software. I was listening to uh, Richard Stallman talk about uh, the philosophy of letting users have access to the source code that said they can modify their software, which made a lot of sense to me, um, even though I wasn't a programmer at all. Uh, but just intellectually, it made sense to me. And uh, I remember just like having anxiety over uh, using a, uh, I had a MacBook, I think it was called an iBook back in the day. Um, yeah, and I was like, feeling guilty about running proprietary software on it. And at one point, I remember having this thought of, well, even if I do use Linux, I still need um, drivers that are binaries that are not free and open source software. So I guess like in any case, I'm going to have to compromise. And that's how I, I got rid of my guilt. But now there are, there are uh, laptops where you don't have to compromise. So 
Um, now I, I, I just feel guilty all day about running a, a MacBook with, uh, with Apple's Mac OS. But in any case, um, yeah, so in parallel, I was you know, interested in Austrian economics and in open source software. I would never have guessed that they would ever intersect uh, in the way that they have with Bitcoin. Now, the other part, too, is that it wasn't just, you know, general Austrian economics that I was interested in, but specifically the, the macroeconomics of um, and why, like, I had never heard a good explanation of why there were macroeconomic cycles historically until I started reading um, you know, the history that Rothbard had written about um, the U.S. Uh, banking system and then the uh, kind of theoretical underpinnings of what drove the cycle uh, from uh, Jesus Cuerto de Soto, uh, who wrote like a thousand page book on fractional reserve banking and central banking and all of this. And that book really got me completely persuaded that um, if we wanted to have, if we wanted to have a, uh, a monetary system that was most conducive to economic growth and that would lead to the best prosperity and thriving for human civilization, that we had to get rid of fractional reserve banking and that we had to go to 100% reserve banking. And with a, uh, now at the time I thought just, you know, gold and silver, because uh, that's all I knew about at the time, uh, with a sound money uh, backing it. <laughs> so when, um, so I was, uh, that's, uh, th my interest in Austrian economics is why I ended up uh, majoring in accounting. In hindsight, I probably should have majored in computer science and pursued my interest in open source software instead, but um, I didn't, I didn't know how, I, I didn't know about Bitcoin yet, right? So uh, I graduated high school in 2007, so there's really no, no way I could have known at all. But um, in any case, um, after I graduated, well, before I graduated, I did find out about Bitcoin. Um, I found out about it for the first time in 2011, but really didn't dig into it at all. I, I downloaded the uh, Bitcoin QT software, uh, opened it up. Uh, I just read an article about mining and I looked for a button to mine and I didn't see one. So I was like, all right, well, that's that's useless. So I closed it and moved on with my life. I didn't know you could just go into the uh, console and put in like an RPC command to, to mine. So I'd actually, you know, I guess I should really, uh, I just realized I should blame um, Vladimir Durlan, who's... Uh, who I admire a lot, <laughs> uh, but uh, I should blame him for not putting a button to mine in the uh, GUI. Um, in any case, <laughs> uh, what I ended up um, doing is finding out about Bitcoin for real at the end of 2012, um, and then uh, started writing about it at the beginning of 2013, uh, because when I realized that the monetary policy of it was better than gold, um, and that it really... The, the capabilities of it as a payment system would allow us to eradicate fractional reserve banking, then I got very excited um, because it immediately, it also, I, I knew that it would increase in adoption. Uh, like I had this like almost at the time irrational um, 
uh, intuition that it would continue uh, growing. Um, now, obviously, with hindsight, that's been validated. But at the time, um, it really was going out on a limb of, okay, this is going to be bigger than the nerds, right? It's going to be bigger yeah. than like a niche little experiment um, and that it's going to, to take off. But in any case, um, so I wrote uh, the first article I wrote was, um, well, so the, the, the first one that I mentioned Bitcoin in was about uh, what the libertarian strategy for political change should be, um, which was uh, working and saving our revolutionary acts. Um, and basically my point in that was that it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for libertarians to try to uh, be political activists who try to like stand on the street corner shouting at people um, or, you know, handing out flyers or things like, you know, what, what Greenpeace does, um, because it's just not like, it's not in line with people's profit motive, right? Like, and so if we're really like libertarians, then why are we thinking that, uh, some kind of action that's not based on market principles would advance things? And then the other thing was that if we look at kind of the long arc of history, the reason that we have gotten less and less uh, government oppression, now we can debate that, but um, yeah. in my view, uh, in general, there's been a tendency towards uh, more liberty. Um, I do agree. And I think it's because of technology. Um, and technology comes from capital accumulation of people being able to save for the future so that they can spend time being innovative and coming up with new ideas um, and new technologies. So um, that article was about how, like I, I mentioned Bitcoin as an example of like a new technology that's like coming out that, you know, will allow us to have less state control over everything. Um, the second article was uh, more now I was more uh, fervent about Bitcoin for the second article I wrote and the Fed hoard Bitcoins, which was that uh, I had the realization that we could take down the dollar uh, if we all just made a concerted effort to go and hoard Bitcoins. Now, at the time, we didn't have the HODL meme, so uh, I had to uh, use the... Uh, the word hoarding, uh, maybe I should go back and edit it and change it to uh, end the Fed, huddle Bitcoins. But in any case, same idea, right? It's <laughs> the same principle. Um, and uh, it's funny because I wrote that the, the title of it was meant to be provocative because um, in the uh, economics literature, there's always a negative connotation about people hoarding money. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's always been the case that people say, oh, no, there's those gold hoarders are causing the economy to uh, to collapse because they're not circulating their money and creating demand for goods and services. So uh, I definitely wanted to, um, you know, uh, well, I guess now we would call it trolling, but at the time I just wanted to be <laughs> provocative. I, I don't. It's bizarre now that like the word trolling now means anything from like being provocative with you know saying like hoard bitcoins to like harassing someone online endlessly like which to me is like kind of not an interesting version of trolling 
calling. Like that's just that's just harassment. But um, for some reason, I think I think that it, those have been conveniently conflated uh, by by some. But in any case, uh, I agree. Yeah. So that's my origin story. Yeah. Uh, and then so, I wrote um, fractional reserve banking is obsolete, uh, which kind of pointed out that Bitcoin is 100 percent reserve and there's nothing you can do about it because you're running a full node. Um, and then, um, yeah, the I think that, well, so I also wrote like Bitcoin central bank, which uh, outlined Bitcoin's monetary policy and the consequences of it. Um, and that has definitely uh, withstood the test of time. Uh, and then the I wrote a speculative attack. Now, speculative attack is has not, uh, I, I don't think that it has um, really shined yet because my prediction in there is that uh, people are going to cause fiat currencies to collapse uh, using Bitcoin. Now, that hasn't happened yet, but I think that uh, we'll get there and then I'll be able to uh, gloat about having predicted it. It's just going to take a little bit of time. <laughs> so, okay. So let me ask you this though. By the time we get to a speculative attack, like what, what year are we in? Cause I, I, I just want to have like the backdrop of, you know, like, are we in 2012 or like, are we in like 2014? Oh, you mean when I wrote this? Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, I think like summer of 2014. Okay. After uh, the run up to twelve hundred, okay, um, and when I wrote it, I definitely thought that it would be like, "Oh man, this is going to happen really soon," you know, like, <laughs> um, and and then the long bear market disabused me of that notion, and I realized that no, it's going to happen eventually. It's just people need to understand Bitcoin better, and this really got driven home in two thousand seventeen. Um, with the no 2x uh, New York agreement segue 2x stuff, which is that that made me realize that first of all, I did not understand Bitcoin particularly well. Um, I didn't understand the peer-to-peer -peer network of nodes um, and the kind of Bitcoin's governance process. Um, and I also realized that few people do understand it. Um, there was like a hardcore group of people who did uh, get it. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were Bitcoin core developers uh, or contributors. Uh, uh, but, it, the, you know, a lot a lot of the community had to educate themselves and uh, myself included. So I think that that also drove home the point that, look, Bitcoin, how, how can Bitcoin succeed until we have more people who truly um, maybe they don't like fully understand it. Obviously, you know, we can debate as to whether it's possible to fully understand it, but at least uh, have a realistic uh, level of understanding of it. Yeah, I, um, I, I think that it, it's kind of interesting, right? Um, I, I'm noticing this at least when it comes to when it comes to hodling Bitcoin. Um, there, there's like the, the people that don't really get it will like or at least this has been my experience. They'll 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 buy it and you know they have whatever small idea they have of it but it's it's not like they they, it, they don't really get it a hundred percent and i think that right now we're still at that stage where 
you really do need to get it. Like, and, and I'm not saying like get it 100% because none of us really do, but get it to the point where you, you almost have like, would say like a, a burning desire where you completely, you know, you, you understand what this means. You may not yeah. understand it, but you get what it means for us. Yeah, so I, I definitely think it's the case that, and it was the case for me that I, I bought Bitcoins before I understood how it worked. Me too. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people. Um, and it's kind of a natural thing. And it's why Bitcoin has grown, which is that um, Bitcoin has grown because of its economic incentives mm -hmm. that attracts people, not because of ideological reasons or like, oh, you know, I want better privacy or I, I value decentralization in and of itself. Or, you know, I, I hate the banks. Like, that's not why Bitcoin has grown. Bitcoin has grown because number go up, right? <laughs> and it really is about the economic incentive of people wanting to improve their lot in life. And that, yes, that means profiting by owning, holding an asset um, that is provably scarce. Now, then it's like, okay, why is this provably scarce? Why are forks worthless? Why are altcoins worthless? Like all of these questions are all like secondary questions that kind of come later. Um, but I think that the the entry point for Bitcoin will will always and has always been kind of the now okay maybe not has always been. I think that like adopters like you know I actually I do want to say it ha always has been economic because Satoshi himself said like yeah. oh you know it just like might make sense to get some in case it catches on so. There, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling type prophecy for the early bootstrapping of it. Um, but then after the early bootstrapping, then it's just a snowball that can't be stopped. Orange coin number one. Big fan. Um, so, all right. Um, how about how about we we switch over to the uh, to the to the node launcher? So you you kind of do like two things for Lightning. You know you you do the I mean like you know you do lots of stuff for the whole community. But um, in terms of like in terms of uh, Lightning itself, you've got the node launcher and you've got your Lightning Power user site. Now I, I've got a channel open to you, which I'm always proud of. I, I like uh, like having channels with cool Lightning Bitcoiners. And uh, you and I actually I passed the uh, the LN Trust chain uh, long last year. Well in uh, yeah, pretty much uh, at the beginning of uh, yeah. When was it really? Was I think it, it was 2018? this year, man. Was it this year? I'm so terrible with time. I, I know. I, it, I, I feel it, like I it could like have been 2018. Month, yeah, a, a Bitcoin <laughs> month is like a normie year. You know, like it. I, I feel the same way. Like uh, someone will right. be like, I'll be like, oh, when did we meet? And they're like, uh, in March, like a few months ago. I'm like, what? No way. So I'm sorry, but yeah, like, so anyway, yeah. so yeah, we ended up doing that together and that was, that, that was pretty cool. Um, so anyways, tell us, tell us about the, uh, the, the node launcher, like what's on the horizon. Cause there's a lot of positive buzz about it. I could tell you in the Bitcoin plebs or plebs group, however you want to pronounce it, everybody loves it. And you know, as, uh, as you know, like there's, uh, there's a lot of positive talk around it. So yeah, where, where's definitely. it going? So the, um, the origin of the, uh, node launcher is that. Uh, last year, now, um, many years ago, like in 2016, I applied to uh, the Chain Code Labs residency because I wanted to uh, work on the Bitcoin Core wallet. Uh, but uh, I got turned down 
um, which was a, a huge disappointment at the time. I was very, very excited about it. Um, I guess it's still a huge disappointment. Um, but in any <laughs> case, uh, um, and uh, last year they were doing a lightning residency. So I was like, all right, I'll apply again and see how it goes. Um, and um, they asked you to have a project that you would work on there. And so uh, I decided after uh, talking with uh, Nick Batya about um, the uh, Lightning Network rate of return that he had been writing about, I realized that we needed a easy way for like finance people to be able to access their Lightning node. And so I created an Excel plugin that allows you to connect to your Lightning node um, and kind of get all the data and also like send payments and whatnot. Um, so that was really cool. But the problem was that on Windows, you have to like go in the command line and edit configuration files to get your Lightning node up and running. And that's really, I, you know, I'm a developer myself and I find that to be annoying. And so it, it is um, it's just a lot of like annoying detail work. And if you get it wrong, then you're like trying to debug it and figure out, oh, what went wrong, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I decided to write a, uh, a like a, a manager to like manage the Bitcoin node and the Lightning node and connect them together. Um, so that's what that's how the node launcher started. Um, it's a cross-platform application, so it runs on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. Uh, it's written in Python. It uses the Qt um, uh, UI framework so that it is uh, cross-platform and um, so lately, uh, we added Tor so that it's working on by default. Um, and uh, I need to put out a release uh, soon because it's been dragging on for a little bit. But um, sorry, you just the, kind of um, for a second. I, I've been, yeah. Um, so we added Tor, and I need to cut a release soon because oh, it's been it. a little while. And uh, we need to, like, Something that I, I have been hoping to add, but it's taking longer than I expected, is uh, having support for Neutrino. And so that, uh, and the, the, the problem there is that, like, I don't want to compile my own version of LND that removes the restriction on mainnet Neutrino, uh, which is currently in place. Uh, so I'm waiting for Lightning Labs to release a version of LND that uh, has Neutrino uh, for mainnet, and then I'll be able to oh, integrate okay. it into the node launcher so that you'll be able to open the node launcher and your Bitcoin full node will sync in the background while your, uh, while your Lightning node is syncing with Neutrino. And that way you'll be able to be on the Lightning Network very quickly, but then eventually switch over to uh, Bitcoin full node um, so that you're not having to trust the uh, network to uh, you know, maintain the con consensus rules. Windows users around the world, thank you. And, and Linux yeah. too, because I, I know you don't just do it on, on one OS, but for us Windows folks, we're happy. <laughs> Yeah, and then I've been thinking about like what the next steps are. Um, and so something that I'd like to see would be that if you connect a hardware wallet, you know, like you connect your Trezor to your laptop, 
I want the node launcher to like provide a pop-up and be like, hey, do you want to use the hardware wallet to open a channel? And so, or, or to oh, close wow. a channel. And so then you can open a channel directly from your hardware wallet uh, and not have to first send your coins to your LND wallet and then open a channel. Yes. Um, and kind of have a, a smooth process like that to improve the UX of using Lightning. And also to make it so that you don't have to, um, you don't have to use your on-chain LND wallet as much, um, and you can use your hardware wallet more. Um, now, there's a lot of different uh, things that I also want to work on there, um, and especially like figuring out how do we make it so that we have better interoperability between things like uh, LND and Wasabi and a Bitcoin Core wallet uh, and a hardware wallet. Like all those should, should be living together pretty peacefully. But right now it's kind of just on the user to be able to send funds back and forth and figure things out on their own. Um, now there's also the issue of mobile wallets and um, having access to your, to your lightning uh like I, I'd want it where you have the same lightning channels on your computer that you do on your mobile wallet. And there's a, several different approaches to doing that. Um, and so far it's kind of been a pain, uh, but it's, I think that'll get better. What I really want to see is like native Tor support on iOS. That would allow us yes. to be able to not have to use port forwarding and easily be able to pair your phone with your computer. That'd be very cool. Um, on a bit of a slightly different note, going back to the nodes, one thing I'd like to see, but this kind of doesn't have to do with the retail, I guess, user experience. It kind of has to do for more like uh, us node nerds that just have a whole bunch of different types of nodes running. Um, I, I'd love to have a, a general a general UI, like one one UI where I can connect to multiple types of nodes. So you could have a CASA node connecting to it, Raspi Blitz, the node launcher, the Noddle, you know what I mean? Like, and you could, that, yeah. that would be super cool. I, I completely agree um, that would, and, and BTC pay server Yes, well. BTC pay server, absolutely, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, no, I mention it because I, I myself have this issue. <laughs> uh, and... So yeah, no, that's that's a really interesting point, um, and we kind of see, um, you know, like already like Zap and uh, Jewel can connect to other nodes, but there isn't this kind of uh, idea of having um, a yeah. So like, part of what I don't like about that is. If it means that you have different channels on each node, yep. then you're splitting up your liquidity. And that just makes things less efficient um, yes. for the network. So ideally, ideally, you have like one lightning node and a multitude of ways of connecting to it. And that one, that one lightning node is up 24-7. Now, what you could do is like you could have it be in the cloud um, and you have like yeah. a reasonable amount of money on it so that it's not like a risk. Um, or if you want to put more money on it, then you like self-host it at home on some hardware 
Um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen uh, to to really move the uh, the node space forward. Uh, and I think that um, yeah, it's it, a lot of it is just unsolved. And uh, there's also like you were saying, like there's different you uh, types of users, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's like okay. Who, who do we cater to? Do yes. we cater to like the mainstream user? And I almost feel like the, I feel like the mainstream user should be a a subset of the hardcore users, in the sense that like the because the hardcore user is going to use a hundred percent of the features, let's say, yeah, and the mainstream user is going to use twenty percent of the features. So it's not like the hardcore user is like not going to use some of the features that the mainstream user would use. So like if you drew a Venn diagram, it's like the hardcore users are like using a superset of the features, uh, not a, a subset of them. So um, I do think that like there might be a, like maybe we should be focusing on how do we create applications for hardcore Bitcoin users and then just by virtue of them having the right features, uh, then they'll be usable for mainstream users as well. Absolutely. You know, like a, almost like a scaled down model, you know, like they, you know, like say when you go into a BIOS, there's like expert mode, you know, like advanced. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. Um, okay. So uh, let's switch over to uh, tell us about, uh, is there anything new going on with uh, lightning power users? Uh, no, uh, th there is not right now. No. Uh, it's just uh, kind of on autopilot. Uh, cool. And, That's what it should uh, do. <laughs> so there's there's another project I'm working on, which I will come back on the podcast to talk about uh, when it's ready. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Nice. We're getting the teaser pitch. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, very Thanks. cool. So, okay, um, let me ask you. Uh, recently, I unfortunately was not able to make it out there. But uh, there was the San Francisco, uh, the San Francisco Bitcoin conference. How uh, how did that go? Anything interesting? Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I think that um, so far it's been the uh, best conference I've been to, um, and I'd say that the you know the the Bitcoin magazine and the Bitcoin the the conference staff were just top notch. Cool. Uh, they really did a fantastic job of finding a really cool venue to host it in. Had lots of space. Um, was in a convenient location, part of uh, you know in San Francisco, um, and they found really top-notch speakers. Uh, they didn't just like go sell the speaker spots to you know ICO shills, oh. which is what some other conferences do. Um, <laughs> And no, they, they found like really good Bitcoin speakers and uh, they they had lots of events around it too that were fun. So like before the conference, uh, there was a Bitcoin beef steak. Yes. Um, so uh, go follow uh, at Away Slice on Twitter so that you get the, uh, the latest uh, information on that. Um, and he did a beef steak in, in Brooklyn as well, which was a lot of fun. So, uh, if you ever get the, if you ever see a beef steak, like dinner being organized, 
Uh, get in on it immediately. <laughs> like, don't hesitate because these things are so much fun. And um, basically, it's, you're just eating beef with your hands uh, while <laughs> talking about Bitcoin and drinking a beer. So uh, it's just, I, I, I have a very fun memory of it. We were on the, uh, the rooftop of uh, a, a Bitcoiner's place in uh, San Francisco. So that was a lot of fun. And then the other thing, too, is that when, when a conference organizes, uh, you know, with really good Bitcoin speakers, it attracts a lot of really smart Bitcoiners, uh, even if they're not speaking, right? Um, and so I got to meet a lot of people that I have never met in person before uh, and was just blown away by what they're working on, what they're thinking about. And I, after the conference, I was like, I, I, you know, I flew home and I was just kind of like depressed because it was so like stimulating and fun to, to be around all these Bitcoiners uh, that uh, then just like it's. It, it, yeah, it was a, a weird feeling of like, oh man, that was that was th- that was it. That was the the peak of my life right there. Um, now, I, I, the other thing too is that the price was like going parabolic That's right. during the conference, and so uh, it just had a huge amount of energy and a lot of fun um, involved. So, yeah, I I think that there's there's a lot of people that are like skeptical about Bitcoin conferences and they're like, oh, you know, that's that's a waste of money. You should just buy Bitcoin. And I, I kind of agree with them that they should just buy Bitcoin. Um, at some point, maybe you feel like you own enough Bitcoin and you want to go to a conference. Uh, so uh, don't 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 knock it till you try it too. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to uh, like I definitely got to agree with you though the uh, the don't knock it till you try it but at the same time let's face it and it's not all of them that this was a I, I think that this conference yeah. was like properly priced the the MIT Bitcoin conference was properly priced you know what I mean like there's some conferences man like to go and spend twelve hundred bucks or fourteen hundred bucks to get shilled you know a bunch of yeah shit. you gotta be you gotta be very selective I'm sorry um, like that that's weak you know these yeah. other you so you know. Yeah, so I, I agree. Um, now, another great conference is going to be next month uh, in August. At uh, So go to bitblockboom.com. Yes. And uh, that's being organized by my friend uh, Gary Leland in, in Dallas. Uh, so that's going to be on August 17th and 18th. Um, and go to the website and go check out the schedule because there's actually things that are happening uh, before BitBlockBoom. So, like, on Friday, August 16th, I'm doing a lightning workshop uh, where we're just going to be learning about lightning all day long and helping you get set up and all that. So um, go go sign up for that if you're looking for a conference that is kind of focused on Bitcoin. Now, there are a, a handful of altcoiners that will be there, but you don't have to talk with them. Okay. Or, or you, you can try to persuade them about Bitcoin maximalism, which is <laughs> always fun, right? Um, but, uh, oh, man, the, the, the ticket prices are going up. So, like, right now, I think it's uh, $300. Um, but, uh, yeah, they used to be more affordable. Uh, oh, if you use the promo code SNI, you'll get a discount. So there's that, too. So we're going to post a link to, the, uh, uh, to uh, BitBlockBoom. On uh, in the show notes uh, for the uh, for the listeners. Thank you very much. Um, 
Okay, so uh, the uh, we're gonna you know what we're gonna we're gonna switch we're gonna switch a little bit and go into some uh, some social media because uh, recently we've had uh, you know we've had some some fun especially uh, in the last twenty four hours so may- maybe let's let's start with the uh, the infamous Trump tweet which uh, which came out and uh, so yeah he's uh, he's not a fan of of Bitcoin and that's yeah, that's really yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it really should come as no surprise, though, right? Uh, he is—he's um, in charge of the U.S. dollar, and uh, he's got to—he's got to shill his bags. That's right. Uh, um, now, uh, I thought the timing was interesting because on that same day we had the uh, Federal Reserve Chairman yes. um, Powell saying that Bitcoin is like a store of value, like gold. That's it's right. Not—it's not used for payments. Which I'm sure had like Roger Veer losing his mind over, but um, <laughs> he's he's right. You know that's that's cool. what I, I call Bitcoin a, a savings technology, not a payments technology, uh, and so that's kind of the way people should be thinking about it now. Obviously, we also want to be doing payments, uh, and uh, that's what I love about Lightning, and why you know I'm on. Uh, Team Lightning as well, um, but in any case, uh, Bitcoin, the asset itself, uh, th- the reason it shines is because of its scarcity and uh, the the liquidity that it's built up over the past ten and a half years of operating uh, pretty well. So I think that I think that it was a huge moment to have both the uh, chair of the Federal Reserve and the president uh, comment about Bitcoin. Uh, and it's a huge validation for Bitcoin, uh, you know, being being recognized as something that's worth commenting about. Um, and I also I just find it interesting that like the the price didn't really react at all. No, it didn't move. So I think that um, people are intelligent enough to realize that even if Trump is not a fan of Bitcoin, that doesn't mean anything. Um, and that, you know, might actually be a positive catalyst uh, if it causes all the uh, liberal progressives to go buy Bitcoin to, uh, you know, to, to, to own the, uh, the Trumpians. That's right. The, the deplorables. That's right. Um, so now I wonder if this will cause... Uh, other political candidates to comment about Bitcoin. We've seen Andrew Yang has been positive on Bitcoin. Um, now, I, I don't say that as an endorsement of Andrew Yang. I think that his uh, his policies are kind of crazy. Um, but in any case, I think that um, what, what was interesting about Trump's comment was about the U.S. dollar's strength, uh, which, uh, you know, he said that the U.S. dollar has never been stronger which is just patently false, right? Uh, it's, the U.S. dollar has been uh, constantly weakening, both from a you know inflationary point of view over the past uh, century, uh, but also just from a foreign exchange perspective versus other currencies over the past several years. Um, and not only that, um, Trump's official view currently is that the U.S. dollar should weaken further. Yes. And and that, um, in fact, there was a Bloomberg article like on the same day that Trump is tweeting 
saying that people think that the U.S. Treasury might directly intervene in the forex markets to push the dollar down. So uh, to, to say the dollar has never been stronger, uh, it's just patently false. And I think that um, people who are, uh, you know, sophisticated investors see right through that and it makes them think, huh, maybe there is something to Bitcoin. Maybe I should look into that because uh, <laughs> clearly this man is not. Yeah, I mean, it, whether he's stupid or a liar, you know, that's that, I don't really care about that. That's but up to him. Yeah, that's up to him. <laughs> uh, but from from the perspective of someone who is thinking about how to how to preserve or grow wealth, uh, it, it's self-evident that the U.S. dollar is uh, going to collapse, uh, whether it's, you know, over the next decade or over the next uh, century. Um, and so you got to be thinking about, all right, what's the next global reserve currency going to be? And I think that the number one candidate right now is Bitcoin. Orange coin. Yeah, no, 100 percent. I like I, I absolutely uh, to your point, though, right? Like how long can they continue to kick this can down the road? You know, I mean, let, let's be honest, you know, like it's like, OK, so, you know, we got rid of we got rid of gold as the underlying asset. It's like, how long can we how, you know, how long can we fly without wings? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that uh, right now we're at a turning point where um, the Federal Reserve is talking about cutting interest rates when we're at the top of the economic cycle. So, like, normally that only happens like when we're entering a recession or like things are going bad that they loosen the uh, monetary policy. Now they're talking about uh, loosening it, you know, when the stock market is hitting all time highs and it's in fact causing the market to hit all time highs, which well, is it, exactly. totally crazy. So now the other part of it is that, so that's kind of the, on the monetary side, like that's a mess. Now on, on the fiscal side, <laughs> Trump also cut taxes at the top of the cycle as well. At the top of the cycle, you should be raising taxes so that you cut the deficit so that you can increase the deficit you know, during the recession. Um, but instead, we're increasing the deficit uh, during the top of the cycle. So uh, on the fiscal side, it's also a mess. Now, on top of all this, on the, uh, the level of politics and of political ideology and of economic ideology, we see this modern monetary theory uh, starting to gain steam. And their whole thing is that the US dollar or a reserve currency or now the, the idiots among them say any currency, um, the government should be printing a bunch of it to unleash the full potential of the economy. Now, um, obviously printing money uh, is, is a good way of getting short-term uh, boost to the economy uh, at the cost of, you know, medium to long-term inflation. So now I think that uh, economic ideology kind of caters to politics and uh, is they're always looking to figure out, all right, how do we make the politicians like us as economists? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, I think that's the root of Keynesianism and it's the root of modern, modern monetary theory. Um, and it's, Again, it's driven by completely rational economic incentives, which is that, hey, look, we have the power to print money. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Um, <laughs> so I understand where they're coming from. Uh, but uh, from the perspective of the U.S. dollar maintaining its status 
as the global reserve currency, um, I, that's very negative, right? And so uh, if there's no self-discipline and there's no institutional um, uh, ability to limit the printing of U.S. dollars and there's no ideological commitment to having a sound money, uh, then I think that the, the, the collapse of the dollar will happen sooner rather than later. Um, now, whether that collapse happens, uh, you know, kind of in a disorderly manner or as a orderly transition to, to Bitcoin, uh, that remains to be seen. I think that we could actually see uh, Bitcoin essentially absorb the dollar uh, in, in a fairly peaceful and non-interruptive way. Now, it would cause a massive redistribution of wealth and, uh, you know, all of the dollar denominated debt would become worthless. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people uh, would have a surprising uh, turn of events for their portfolio. But um, I think that, frankly, I, I only have so much sympathy for, for those folks because uh, they've been benefiting from a massive rise in wealth inequality in this country. And uh, they, it's been driven uh, by government policy. And uh, so to, to, to know that, hey, look, if you lent the government money uh, and the government's going to pay you back with worthless U.S. dollars and it's worthless because Bitcoin is now, you know, has replaced the dollar. Uh, well, I, I don't really have that much sympathy for you. You shouldn't have lent your money to the government. That's right. I, I totally agree. Um, OK, so have you seen. OK, so, I mean, have you have you seen any of uh, Peter Schiff's uh, tweets lately? Yeah. You, you know, the. Uh, <laughs> So poor, I don't. Poor guy. I mean, he's been <laughs> he he's been naysaying Bitcoin from the beginning. Like in 2011, I think that or 2012, he was speaking out against Bitcoin. So um, I think that um, you know that's fine. Uh, what what I think that is is interesting is that the arguments haven't changed. No, they haven't uh, changed at all. It's the same one over and over again. <laughs> and now he just like throws in stuff about like Trump's tweet, like today. He yeah. like pretty much, you know, made some comment about Bitcoin and you know how you don't want to get exposed to, you know, that kind of problem. I don't even remember what the tweet is, but of course he threw Trump in. But to your point, it's the same argument. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I, you know, I think that the, the critics of Bitcoin if if they want to have credibility, their arguments have to change as Bitcoin continues to succeed because Bitcoin's success is invalidating their old arguments. So constantly. Yeah, you can't you can't just repeat the same argument you were repeating when Bitcoin was at ten dollars, right? <laughs> like that argument wrong. <laughs> has been proven false because Bitcoin is never going back to ten dollars let's accept that as a reality um and and so they need to they need to innovate and they they're not and so i think that what we're seeing instead is that they're professionalizing and so uh peter schiff and uh nouriel rubini are now just turning themselves into kind of circus freaks they go to conferences and get ridiculed uh and they just like do their song and dance and then they get paid, you know, their speaker fee. Um, so I think that, you know, it's it's fine for them from like an economic perspective. But to me, from an intellectual perspective, 
it's like, all right, well, you're just like intellectually bankrupt, right? Um, now you're just uh, a circus animal and people are laughing at you and, and you're just accepting it because you're getting paid to do it, which is bizarre. But I guess, you know, some people just don't have the dignity to, to, <laughs> to either to either like become Bitcoiners or to come up with better arguments. No shame. I, I mean, yeah. like, just no shame. Um, but I, I mean, did you see recently, like, there was this, uh, this thing with Pomp where a bunch of people, uh, Bitcoiners, unfortunately, um, were giving free Bitcoin to Peter Schiff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I tweeted out, like, I, I, I'm sorry, like, th- those are just beta Bitcoiners. I, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't give this guy. I mean, is he somebody actually, I think it was uh, one guy that follows me, like Hannah, Hannah Kuki. I hope he got, I got, I hope yeah. I got his Twitter handle right. But like, you know, he even said, he's like, is Peter Schiff, like, handing out gold, you know, to get people to show people how to use it? Like, why the hell are people giving him Bitcoin? Well, it just goes I to prove, that, you know? Yeah, although... Stupid. If, if Peter Schiff did want to hand out gold, he, he can't, right? <laughs> he can so only like, do it in one place. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. it does kind of prove a point in that regard of Bitcoin is native internet money. And so, like... Maybe that alone should cause you to reconsider your your point of view. And you know, um, now again, I think that people are going to be attracted to Bitcoin because of the economic incentives of its scarcity, and handing it out uh, undermines that argument. Um, but it's kind of a it's a it's a it's, it's a calculus, right? Of uh, do we do we try to push the magic internet money narrative? Or do we try to push the like scarce digital gold narrative? Um, ultimately, like I think everything is good for Bitcoin. So uh, whatever whatever we decide to do, it's going to be good for Bitcoin. And uh, uh, so yeah. And everybody wants adoption, right? Yeah. Like so that that's the and to your point, like that's the problem where it's like okay, you know, I hate the fact that people are going and giving it away and just like pretty much proving. Uh, not really proving, but just in that particular situation, show like showing him, hey, look, Bitcoin's worthless. People are just giving it to me, but that's not the case. Those are just those are just like to me. It's like those are just fools. But again, it's him, and he has a whole bunch of followers, and it you know helps it helps expand the echo chamber and the fringe cases. And it's I I hate the double edged sword. Yeah, <laughs> and I I also think that it's important for. Um, to think about the audience, right? Which is that when when we're arguing with someone on Twitter, it's not necessarily that we're trying to persuade them personally. It's that we know there's a lot of other people watching. And so I think that, you know, posting an address and showing that, hey, you can just send value to an address permissionlessly over the internet. Like, that's, uh, that's interesting. Cool. <laughs> but you can, you can do that with Dogecoin, right? Um, so in that regard, it doesn't really show the, I think that once, like when we're like so deep into the rabbit hole, like our, our thinking changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that we'll, we'll continue to see like the the number of people who like are, uh, Bitcoin woke, uh, will, will continue to increase, but, um, it's an education process and like, I, I gave away Bitcoin, you know, when I was, uh, I, I gave, uh, I gave one whole Bitcoin to my wife when it was like, <laughs> that's your wife. Now at the time she was, she was just like, 
my girlfriend, right? <laughs> I, and so that could have turned out badly, but um, it was like $30 worth of Bitcoin uh, at the time. And I gave away uh, one Bitcoin to Michael Goldstein, too, I think, for his like birthday back in 2013. Okay. Um, but like he wrote one of the coolest articles out there that I recommend to every single new. Yeah, but this was so, before. So, this was before. Uh, this was so he didn't deserve it yet. No, no, no. <laughs> now he deserved it for creating uh, Ludwig von Mises memes and uh, promoting Austrian economics. Cool. At the time, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I mean, we're I. Pierre, I could honestly talk to you forever. It's awesome. I got to meet you at the MIT Bitcoin Expo. It was really cool. Um, I got to I got to hear you speak on the uh, the Boltathon, which I, I wanted to mention really quick uh, because you were talking about conferences, and I wanted to throw in the Boltathon was one of the coolest conferences that I ever attended that I wasn't at, and it was super fun. And I I thought you guys had an amazing lineup. Every speaker, all of you guys were incredible. So. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. Thank you. Um, I hope that uh, we, we do it again. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. I, I'm so because glad. Because the, the Block Fuse guys who, did, who organized it, Yeah, um, I haven't heard from them since. So I hope that they, they do decide to do another one. I hope so too. So, so look, I we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, and uh, I just want. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts for the uh, for the listeners? Obviously, we're gonna post your contact info. Like I said, we're gonna put Bitblock Boom website as well to uh, you know to help uh, that conference out to get some people out there as well. But uh, any final thoughts? Um, you know, I think that final thoughts trying to think of what what the right final thoughts are um, <laughs> because I do think that I, I, I think things changed yesterday um, with with those Trump tweets and I, um, I think that you know we're, we're we're out of the bear market and uh, this bull market has just started and it's already far exceeding our expectations uh, so uh, I, I would tell people, to uh, just keep learning and um, you're never done with your Bitcoin journey. You're never going to have figured everything out or have learned everything there is to learn. So uh, get, you know, Mastering Bitcoin, Programming Bitcoin by Jimmy Song just came out, yes. Grokking Bitcoin by, um, um, uh, and, oh, well, Safedine's book, obviously the Bitcoin yeah. Standard. Um, and read, continue educating yourself, uh, be skeptical, you know, like don't necessarily, uh, believe everything you hear. So, uh, continue to, uh, don't trust, verify. Don't believe um, us. <laughs> and, and then the other thing too, of like, if you want and you have the time and the energy, uh, learn how to program, uh, go, uh, check out, um, Solo if you learn? Google, Bitcoin's technical side, Pierre Rochard, you'll find a Medium article I wrote about, you know, getting interested on the programming side. Um, and then there's also like Justin Moon's Biddle Bootcamp. Uh, he's starting uh, another session, I believe. So um, it, I, it's it's kind of on Bitcoiners to learn how to program rather than expecting programmers to learn how to Bitcoin. <laughs> I like the way you put that. Um... Okay, so again, Pierre, 
thank you so much for uh, for coming on my show. I'm glad that that we finally got this done. Um, I, I've mentioned it before. Uh, you know, I'm not ashamed. I've I've screwed up two of these recordings, but this time I'm sure that we got it right. So, thank you very much for being on, Pierre, and uh, I hope to have you ag- uh, on again. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Corny Chris. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Pierre. I know I did. Um, his contact details for Twitter will be in the show notes. Also in the show notes will be the um, BitBlockBoom uh, link in case you want to get tickets to that. And, of course, if you want to reach me, I can be found on Twitter and Telegram, at CoinIcarus. And if you want to send me an email, I'm funwithcrypto at protonmail.com. Catch you all next time.